We're continuing on in, uh, we're looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and uh, we did Ezra last week, and we're going to go into um, Nehemiah and then jump back um, to Ezra a couple of times uh, later on. I don't know what the situations are that really grab you, like it could be one of the situations of the countries we just prayed for, it could be a family situation, relationship, it could be society that we see, uh, the struggles that we see in society, Um, it could be something to do with our faith or a wrestling with faith that it really makes us go sit down and the, the things that we really struggle with. And we, work, we wonder how can we build this life with God or how can we rebuild it if we've had it before. And Nehemiah, I think, gives a great picture of how, how somebody dealt with this, a difficult situation that he was in and how he coped with it. And so, and how he rebuilt, um, helped rebuild the life of of Israel uh, with God, but also his own life. And so, that's what we're going to look at today. So, page 485. And this is Nehemiah, and we're going to be continuing on with the story. So, this is the very, just the first chapter. And I'm going to read from the beginning of verse 1, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. As you can tell, there's more of the story to continue. 
Um, and we'll continue um, the next chapter next week. But we don't know much about Nehemiah at this point. Um, but we just get a hint that he is cupbearer to the king. So he's in a place of influence. And he has to work out what he's going to do with that influence, with, the, with this situation that has grabbed his heart, that has made him upset, that he, dis, he, he wants to, to see changed. And it's obvious that he, he cares about Jerusalem, even though he probably never lived there, as far as we know. That what happened was that when uh, Jerusalem was um, taken over by Persia and Susa, they would take the ruling classes. So they took the priests and the scribes and those who were educated and those who were the rulers, and they took them, um, the kings of Babylon would take those people back and away into exile. And then they would uh, look after them, they would give them new names, they would um, integrate them into society there so that they, wouldn't, they would almost show them the good life. They showed them the, the razzmatazz of this, this massive big city after taking them away from their, what was then a much smaller town. And they, they would then take them over, but then they would send them, quite often they would send them back because they still knew the, their own language. They would then send them back to take over or run administrative duties in, in the very, their very own country that had been taken over by the Persians. And that's what had happened here. And we, it, it may be that Nehemiah didn't even know his own country. He may be a, a son of one of the exiles. We don't know. But it's obviously that he cares about Jerusalem because he questions those that come back. And he questions them about what, what was going on. And I think Jerusalem obviously means so much to him. The walls of Jerusalem is the, is the little phrase that upsets him. And we'll find out more about that later. But if Jerusalem to him doesn't just represent, I know, a nice architectural site. It represents his family. It represents his heritage and his culture. And it represents his faith. And can, you can imagine that hearing that a place is in ruins. We heard last week about Ezra, that they'd gone back to build the temple, but the actual community, the walls of the city, weren't there. And the walls represent, like, I was just back in Edinburgh seeing, visiting um, uh, friends and family, and that's where I went to university, and pointing out to some uh, friends who were coming with me, to pointing out some of the edge of the old city walls. And they're now just a, a tourist attraction. But in those days, in, in early days, they, they meant defense, they meant security, they meant identity, they meant that it, would, it sort of delineated the edge of the, the city. And that's what it was for Jerusalem. It, it identified it, and it made it safe for the people. And he obviously kept on asking um, the people, uh, the, those that went there, and including his brother, what it was like. And it, and you can only know by people that, that are there. I mean, I, it was good being back in Edinburgh because I got to ask people and see face-to-face about the whole independence debate because don't, you don't get much of the news down here. And I am passionately interested in it, but I don't get to vote. But I still want to make a difference. I still care about what goes on. But only being there or talking to people that are hearing the news coverage up there is you, you 
get more of an idea. And I can get that feeling from Nehemiah that he wants to know. He cares passionately about Jerusalem. So then he, he hears, and what I love is his response. And he turns to God, and the rest of this passage is that he is honest to God. That's my, the title of today, is the honest to God. And when there's something, when there is a situation that we're seeking to rebuild, rebuild our life with God, to rebuild with God, being honest to God is what comes across in this passage. I love, you know, he heard these things, verse 4, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he, he took some days, he took time when he was dealing with a situation. Sometimes I know I can see something on the news and then I can walk off again and forget about it. He took time to really invest and to pray. He, foc- he was really focused as well. I think fasting for me is, helps me focus. If I choose not to eat chocolate and I choose to pray when I would otherwise like to be eating chocolate, it, it focuses me quite considerably. Um, because if I'm thinking that I want to eat chocolate, but I, I choose to pray to God every time I'm thinking about eating chocolate, then I tend to pray a lot more. Um, <laughs> it's, honest, it's true. And that's, that's the way it worked. And he obviously fasted. We don't know how much he fasted, but he, obviously, he wanted to focus his prayers. And that's, that's what he did. He was honest to God. And then he kept on praying. He was, it was a conversation. And what we then get written down is a summation of his honesty with God. And so whatever it is for each one of us where we need to be honest to God with rebuilding our lives. And here are three ways that, I think the three parts of this next passage, that he is honest in his recollection of what's going on or what's been going on. He's honest in his reminders to God and he's honest in his request to God. So first, honest recollection. This prayer is a, a salutary lesson in, in being honest to God. Um, if we're going to st- rebuild or to start a new project, we need to clear the decks. We need to wipe the slate clean. If it's a building project, we need to get right back to bare earth. We need to get back to solid rock to build something. And with God, we need to clear the slate. We need to be honest, completely open with God if we're going to build something strong and secure. If we're not completely honest with God or ourselves, then we will find ourselves trying to hide from the truth and, and forget about we don't build something that's secure and strong. I don't know if any of you watched the, or saw the confession of um, the cricketer, Lou Vincent. I don't know if you, ever, if you saw that on, on, on BBC. And I was really struck by it because of many confessions, I've seen sort of various celebrities give their confessions, you know, um, Lance Armstrong. But to me, that, it wasn't really a confession because he just left so many ways that he could wheedle out and wasn't actually apologetic. But what really struck me, although I don't know much about cricket or, or really what he did, I, I listened to it. Somebody sent me going, this is an interesting confession. I don't know what I think about it, but it struck me about it, how full and unguarded it was and this is what it, some of what he said I've, he was um, convicted for match fixing and banned from any connection with cricket um, for life 
And he said, I've shamed my country, I've shamed my sport, I have shamed those close to me. For that, I am not proud. I lost faith in myself and the game. I abused the game I love. I had to put things right. Speaking out, exposing the truth, laying bare the things I've done wrong is the only way I can begin to put things right. Speaking out, exposing the truth, laying bare the things I've done wrong is the only way I can begin to put things right. And that honest recollection is that's what we see with Nehemiah when he comes to his admission and his connection to God. And he doesn't, what I, what I think is fascinating is that he doesn't recognize that, he doesn't say, try and say in the classic, um, pr- well, prayer or or response of Adam, the very first man, he doesn't go, it was her fault, it was her fault. He doesn't go, he doesn't point to somebody else, go, oh, it was just my dad, you know, or my family, they were, they were bad. He doesn't go, oh, it was just those people a hundred years ago, they didn't follow you, God, but, but really I'm great. He recognizes that he's part of a system, he's part of the family, he's part of the problem, and that he needs to come to God, honestly, not just on other people's behalf, but on his behalf, that he's part of the, the situation. And so he's honest, not just for himself, but to God for others, for the situation of the, the whole culture that he's in. But the reason that we can, we can bear to expose ourselves to God and why we, I know, I I'm saying, this, I'm saying this to myself because I need to be more and more honest to God. But the reason that we can be honest to God, we can really ex- give ourselves to him is because he loves us. And go verse 5. O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those that love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. The reason he, that Nehemiah knew that he could go to God is that God is a God of love, a covenant-keeping God, a covenant that says, not I'll love you if, but I'll always love you. He said there's, there's consequences to that love, and there's consequences. He needs to, God will always, um, this is very clear about how we need to respond. But Nehemiah is, is going, yes, I, I need to be... I want to come back to you, God, and I want my people to come back to you because you are a God of love. And like like when we've been upset somebody or done something wrong in a relationship, we come back, but really we're we're only forgiven when, when our actions display something different. And that's what Nehemiah starts to do, and we'll find out more about that over the next few weeks. But the reason he can do that is because God loves him. I love um, just one of the other parts of um, Lou Vincent's um, confession. This is what he said. I could not live with my wrongdoing any longer. And after meeting my future wife, Susie, after learning what unconditional love really is, I felt strong enough to tell her what I'd done, and she has helped me to take the painful steps of telling my parents, my wider family, and then the authorities after learning what unconditional love really is. That really struck me. That when we know what love is, and when we remember who God is and what he's done for us, then we can be honest with him. And that's why we can be honest to him. 
So that was our honest remembering of, of, of the situation. So often we can look back and try and recall and be honest to God, but we put our own rose-tinted glasses on. But God calls us to be honest, to be truthful, till it hurts if we're going to rebuild and build with him. Or whatever situation it might be going on, that if we want to change that situation, we need to be honest to God. But what, he, what Nehemiah then does is he reminds God of God's promises. If you look, verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations, which is exactly what had happened to them. They'd been scattered all across the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, and that's what he felt he'd been, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's quoting God back to himself. And then he's reminding God, these, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. He's reminding God of, his, of God's promises. And the reason he does that is he knows that he's, we're going to find out next week, he, Nehemiah goes and meets the king of Persia. But he knows that the, the situation of of Israel and Jerusalem is not ultimately in the king of Persia's hands. It's in God's hands. And what he does is he reminds God of his covenant of love with his people. And it's one of the features, if you look all the way through the Bible, there's numerous times where, where people remind God of, of, what he, of what God has said. And it's not because God needs reminding. God knows the promises he's made to us but it's it's i think it's so that we remember the promises and so when we pray to god it's good to remind god of his promises that's why we want to read the bible is to to know the promises that god has given us and i think as we remind god of his promises to us we start to align ourselves with god's will it's like when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So he, he's honest in his reminding of God. And he, he does that because he knows he's cleaned the slate and he's now able to be honest to God, saying, God, this is what you said you'd do. And we can do that because we, we know that God is a God to be trusted. And that's every time we come to communion, we're reminding God of his promises, of what he's done for us. The fact that when we come back to him honestly that, that, and what he's done for us and his, what he chooses to, to give us in his presence um, through the bread and the wine. So honest recollection, honest reminder, and then honest request. Verse 11, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. If we're choosing to rebuild our life with God, then being honest in our requests, I think is something that I've... Um, started to remember again. I worked for 
um, Jeremy Jennings, who was, um, he was at HDB, the church I used to be at. He was the director of prayer, but he was also the director of finance. And um, that seems a strange combination, but actually it was much needed if, if you knew it may be a big church, but the state of the finances just, it definitely needed a lot of prayer of how, because it's such a big organization. But I remember Jeremy would always say when we were leading, he was leading prayer meetings, that the first rule of the kingdom in prayer is asking, asking God. And I think God wants us to be more specific in our prayers. And I, Nehemiah is very specific in his request to God and to, to the king later on. But that can be hard as well, because sometimes we can ask something and the answer may be no. I know that I quite often ask God for things that I know will make my life easier rather than for the best for God or for other people. And that's hard when I realize that. But Nehemiah, has, he's been reminding God of his promises, which then means that he's trying to get into what God's way is. And so he's, he's saying, your kingdom come, God. I want to do your well, and so he's saying, let your ear be attentive, Lord, to the pra- this prayer, the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. But he does that. He requests to God first, not to, to the king or anybody else. He requests to God. And if there's something for whatever it is in, in our lives that we're choosing to rebuild and we're wanting to, to grow in, whatever God has called us to do, We need to be honest in our requests to God. So my main summation is that if we're going to build life with God, we need to be honest to God. Honest in our recollection and our remembering of our own situation. We need to be honest in reminding God and remembering what he has said to us and honest in our requests. I think he wants us to ask, as I said before, to ask boldly, to ask him. I don't know what it is for you that you you know needs rebuilt or built in your life with God. It could be personal situation, it could be something, a a charity, a cause that is on your heart that you you know God has stirred in you and you want to, to make a difference and you may feel that you have no power or strength to do that. But God, but Nehemiah shows us that it doesn't matter what situation we're in, that God is the one that we need to turn to and to be honest to. So let's do that just now. Let's take a moment to be quiet before God and to be honest to God. Let's pray.